glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me then, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 17. We'll read the first seven verses. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people uh, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. We looked at that last week. Verse 4, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And it goes on to tell us, but with many of them God was not well pleased, uh, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. We know even among that group there were people who did not truly believe God. But I want us to see in verse 4, he calls this rock in the wilderness a spiritual rock, meaning this rock that we learn about physically has a spiritual application. To us, we see it from the spiritual standpoint, and their drink, their water was spiritual, just like Jesus said, my words are spirit, and they are life when speaking of his flesh, his broken body, and his shed blood. He never intended us to physically eat him or drink his blood. Even so, here we have a spiritual lesson from this physical rock. Thank you. You may be seated. So this morning, there's no way... Uh, in this time slot we have this morning to exhaust all that the Bible has to say in referencing the Lord, either Jehovah God of the Old Testament or the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament who's the same as Jehovah of the Old in fleshly form. There are many times there are applications made and he is referred to as a rock. And so we know that the Lord Jesus is referred to as bread from heaven and the application for us is except we receive him by faith into our hearts, like we would receive bread into our bodies, we'll perish. But the difference is, physical bread, you have to eat again. Those who partake of Christ, he abundantly and eternally satisfies. He is the bread of life, John 6 says. And just like that man that came down from heaven, Jesus came down from heaven. Just like the man that was white, our Lord is pure. The man tasted like honey, speaking of the sweetness of his character, uh, it was anointed, tastes like it was anointed with oil, speaking of the, the Lord Jesus' being filled with the Holy Spirit. So many types of that bread that came from heaven, you couldn't explain how it got there. They saw it and called it, what is it? That's what manna means. And when Jesus came, many did not recognize him because 
Who is he? Where is he from? What is it? So many types that we saw last week that speak of Christ. Now here today, he is likened to a rock called that spiritual rock that followed them. I referenced earlier Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4, and this is speaking of the Lord. And I'm just going to read it. You don't have to turn there. But Deuteronomy 32, saying of the Lord, calls him here in Deuteronomy 32, a rock. He said, or the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. Once we get into the New Testament, we'll see some things right here in our text in Exodus 17 that show us a likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. But once we get into the New Testament, the Lord is referred to as a rock from many different uh, different aspects. If I said to you today, we're going to build a house on a rock, I think you would say, that's wonderful. If I said yesterday, one of our children was standing under a crane and it dropped a, a, a one-ton stone on them, you would say, that's horrible. It all depends on your, on your um, approach to that great rock as to how it's going to affect you. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll give you four things this morning that I believe the Lord has for us that we see uh, in comparison. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is in Scripture, why he is referred to as a rock, and as we see him as that spiritual rock, what it tells us about him. So if we're there in Exodus 17, let's look again in verses 6 and 7. We heard how the people complained. That reminds us again, by the way, God did not provide this rock because the people deserved it. Can we all agree on that? If we were God, if you are up to speed uh, on where this is at in the context of Israel's history, they have... That had God has done one miracle after another for them, and as soon as the miracle is done and hardship comes, they question whether God is even there. We don't even know if God is with us. There was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and yet they're wondering, is God with us? God had parted the Red Sea for them. God had put ten plagues on Egypt for them. Many times we think, man, if I lived in the Bible days, I wouldn't have any difficulty trusting God. I mean, the Bible days, they got like signs and wonders. They got to watch the plagues and you realize God still is working by his own power today, and it's all around us. And we do the same thing with the work of God today that they did back then. We find ways to explain it away. Well, maybe it was this. Or, better yet, in the moment of adversity, all we can think about is our adversity. Now, God allowed, the Bible makes it very clear. I believe the 78th Psalm, God allowed numbers of difficult things to happen to the children of Israel in the wilderness to prove them to test them, to see if they would trust him or not. And the fact of the matter is they flunked. They failed miserably. And one of the things we come out of the Old Testament with is this. You can give mankind perfect promises, perfect law, and, and, and all the power he needs, and he still will sin. God used the Old Testament to prove that man is utterly sinful, and outside of God saving him, there's no hope for him. Because God gave the nation of Israel everything a nation should need to be a great success. And yet they turned to idols. You can look at the United States of America. If any nation should love God, it should be ours. But we hate him more by the day as a nation. Not every person in the nation, but as a nation. Makes no sense, does it? The fact this nation exists and has had the great success it has is nothing short than a miracle from God. God's been very gracious and merciful to us. And so what we see here is in their failings, it ought to come clear to us, man is utterly sinful. God does, has done everything that needs to be done on his part. But what I want us to see is that God does do everything he's promised to do, whether man deserves it or not. 
That's called God's grace. So here they are, grumbling and complaining, accusing Moses of trying to kill them. And Moses says, look, your problem is not with me, it's with God. And they're saying, well, we don't know if God is here or not. We're going to turn to you, Moses. And so then, of course, the Lord intervenes. But what we find in his provision of this rock that had water in it, God had the rock smitten, and out of that came water. In Numbers chapter 20, we'll read of it again, when on the second occasion, years and years later, they were chiding again, grumbling for no water, and God told Moses, speak to the rock. And, of course, you know, uh, most likely you know, that Moses disobeyed and smote the rock twice. Nonetheless, all he needed to do is speak to it, and it would produce water again. But the point would be this. God did not provide for their thirst because they were deserving or worthy of God's provision. God did not send Jesus Christ into this world because man finally elevated him to to a point where God says, well, now man's worth saving. Now I see a spark of divinity in him. He's doing his best. Some will say something like this. God's grace kicks in when you've done your best. Now that's false teaching, by the way. But they'll say, you do all you can do and God's grace will make up the rest. My Bible tells me, Romans 5 verse 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what we see here. The people were sinning against God, murmured and complained, and yet God provided a means of physical salvation, just like he's provided for us a means of a greater salvation, spiritual salvation in Christ. And so then, the first thing we see in the rock is what it did for the people. God gave this rock, and in this, we find that at the rock, verses 6 and 7, you find God himself was present. That's why it's referred to as that spiritual rock. The Bible says, verse 6, Behold, I will stand before thee, There upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, uh, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So what was the question, verse 7? Is the Lord among us or not? And what did God tell Moses? He said, When you go to the rock, I will go before you, and I'll stand before thee there upon the rock. That rock is where the presence of God was in that moment. That tells us of Jesus Christ. So the rock here is the fullness of God's presence. Is that not who Jesus is? He is the fullness, according to Colossians 2, verse 9, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible tells us that in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There in John 1, 1 through 3, verse 14 tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And once again, Colossians 2, verse 9 tells us that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, meaning he is God expressed in human form. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, the Bible says it this way. way. But without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, uh, believed on the world, uh, preached among Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. The mystery of godliness, meaning what would it look like if God were man? We know, we have the record of it in scriptures, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a good man who became God. Jesus is not God who took laid aside himself. He did not lay aside his deity in the sense of ceasing to be God. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How do we know that? 
How do we know that Jesus is actually God come down in the form of man? It says it. How did they know God was standing on that rock? Only one way. God said, I'm going to. It's not like you looked up and they said, oh, look, there's God standing on the rock. He said, that's where I'm going to be, on that rock. I'm going to inhabit that piece of space on earth for a moment of time. And my presence there is going to bring out about a miracle. How many rocks do you think they saw in that wilderness as they journeyed? A bunch. So, I, I don't know. I don't know how many rocks they saw, but if it's a wilderness, I'm going to guess perhaps they saw a lot of rocks. I don't know. But they might have come up to say, you know what? Let's start smacking rocks and see if it will give us water. How many think they did that? What made this rock unique? God said, that's where I'm going to be. It was God's presence that sanctified this rock. Let's use Moses as an example in Exodus chapter 4. How many bushes do you think he saw? Lots, but how many of them were burning and not consumed? Only one. And here, what made this rock unique is that it was designated by the word of God as that is where my presence is. Today, what sets Jesus Christ apart from every other man is what the word of God says about him. The Bible tells us without any, without any lack of clarity that Jesus is not a mere man. He was not a good, just a good example or a good teacher. May I say this? Every false religion in the world is more than happy to hijack Christianity and call it their own in order to try to deceive people. Bible Christianity acknowledges and knows that God has come in the flesh. First John tells us in Second John that if any spirit confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, that spirit is not of God. And so this morning, this rock, is it is there at that rock that there was the fullness of God's presence. And yet, you know what the people were still saying? Though God was present, they were saying, is God here or not? You know, there's still people saying today, well, where's God? Where's God? Why, why, why doesn't God do something? This last week, a heinous crime was committed down there in Texas. And why wasn't God there? I'll tell you something. God has done what is needful to help mankind. And you tell me, if God is not recognized present among us, is it because he's not present or because we have been unbelieving about his presence? God has visited man. People will say, why doesn't God do something about the state of this world? Friend, he did. And we've chosen to say, but that's not the answer. What Jesus Christ did on a cross 2,000 years ago has nothing to do with violence in our schools. It has everything to do with it. We told him, take a hike. We don't need you in our schools. Thank you. So it's not fair those little children should suffer. I agree. That's the work of Satan. That's the work of wicked men. Not the work of God. May I say this, God had everything these people needed and it was by his presence among them that he would provide their every need. He had proved it time and again. But the only way they would recognize his presence was by faith in his word. You know how I know that? Because he'd showed them signs and they still didn't recognize. He told Moses, I'm going to be on that rock. I'll stand on it. And then we see that he not only, uh, the evidence of his presence was his promise, but then we find the expression of his presence. You know what did God say he would do to Moses? He told Moses, smite the rock and what will come forth? Water. You know what? At least there was one believer in the crowd. You know what Moses did? He smote the rock at the word of God. And what came out? Water. And it provided life when there was death. They said, we're not, by the way, how many of us know you will die if you don't get water? Three days you're, without water, you're in real trouble. Speaking of, I want to take a drink. The fact of the matter is, they needed water. So their, their, their concern was not an illegitimate concern. 
The problem was they were not taking God at his word. And so here, the fullness of God's presence is manifest by his promise. He said, I'll be at that rock. But then it was manifest by his provision. Meaning when Moses took God at his word and said, I know God is on that rock because he said he is and he smote it at God's command. You know what happened? Exactly what God said. Do you know who knows today that God is faithful and that Christ is living? Those who have believed in the smitten rock. Those who have said, you know what? He is exactly who the Bible says. Those souls that have said, you know what? That rock was smitten. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We have found the rock, Jesus Christ, to be an unending flow of life that you can return to again and again and again. And when life throws you a curveball, go back to that rock. He's still the same. I won't get too far ahead of myself, but what I want to say this morning is the way that you see that God is who he says he is, is take him at his word. I said this in Sunday school, and I cannot overemphasize it. We live in a generation that says we're like the the state of Missouri. We, We are the show me people. If I could see God do something, I would believe him. Then you'll never trust him. It's a wicked and a perverse generation that seeketh after a sign. You know, what, you know what it means to say, God, if you're real, prove it to me. You're tempting God. That's what they did. They said, if you're real, prove it. God said, no, I'll provide for you. But here's what they're doing. That is based on what? Belief or unbelief? And who got water out of the rock? The unbelievers or the believer? <laughs> he smote that rock and water came out. May I say this? They got water for their thirst, even though they didn't deserve it. Even as I said before, God sent his son into this world to to be smitten for our sins. And, of course, we see in this matter of the fullness of God's presence that God did come in the flesh, that he might taste death, Hebrews tells us, for every man. And just like this rock had to be smitten before it could provide its resources, our Savior had to be smitten before the life that is in him could flow to us. And so we see the fullness of God's presence in this rock. Number two, of course, we've already already referenced it. He is the fountain. This rock is the fountain of God's provision. Everything God was going to provide for his people, as far as this water is concerned, it came out of this rock. There wasn't a stream flowing through the desert. There wasn't a spring coming out of the mountainside. This is a desert place. It's a dry land, meaning what came out of that rock was a miracle. And so for us, the same is true today. The life-giving resources that flow from Jesus Christ to the believer, it's a miracle. This water is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Turn, if you would, to John chapter uh, 4. John chapter 4. So we find that out of this rock flowed what? Water. Over and over, Jesus refers to eternal life as water. It's likened to water. Just like physical water sustains your physical life, he has spiritual water, and that is he himself. And it does not only sustain life a little longer, it's eternal life that comes through him. John chapter 4 says this, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. By the way, I've, no, I've circled in my Bible, in verse 10, the word gift, give, and given. And then in verse 12, she asked him, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this, the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And we will find by the end of the chapter, she got the water she asked for. John chapter 7, if you would, <clears throat> a few chapters over. John chapter 7. The Bible says in verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And then if you would, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. I want to show you a theme about the water that flows from Jesus Christ, our, our smitten rock. Just like that rock, he is, the presence of God is in him and upon him. And from him flows all the provision that we need. Eternal life for our soul that gives salvation, that gives us sanctification, that sustains our life. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I love Revelation twenty two seventeen. Here's why. It is plain speech. What God says, I have provided a fountain of living waters for you, and all you have to do is come and drink. Isaiah 55 says, come without price. Come without money. God has provided eternal life as a free gift. And that water coming out of that rock that was smitten is a picture of what happened to us. Because Jesus Christ has been smitten, God in the flesh came and took on our sin never having sinned and died on the cross and was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, because of his having been smitten, you and I can have eternal life, not as a reward, but as a gift. I would challenge anybody to show me in the Bible where we earn eternal life. And friend, you say, why do you, why do you harp on this? Because there, the, the pride of man says, I've got to earn my way. This is why when you fall on this rock, you'll be broken to pieces. A man has to come to the end of himself before he'll get water out of this rock. You know what? They were saying, well, if God's among us and trying to get Moses to do something, and then God says, I am among you, and here's how I'm going to provide for you. And even as water flowed out of that rock, when it was smitten, even so the smitten Christ provides eternal life, not physical life only, but eternal life to those who put their trust in him. You know what? Who is the fountain of life? He has a name. Jesus Christ. And because he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, he's as alive today as he's ever been. You know how you and I get this water of life? Go to him. We do not go to him physically. We go to him by faith. We turn to him by faith, believing what God says, that he is the God of the flesh, that he is today ascended at the right hand of God, that he hears the prayer of those who turn to him and say, Lord, I want that water. And we can have it because he was smitten. But may I say this in Numbers chapter 20, if you would turn there. Years, as I mentioned earlier, years later, this same rock apparently, same rock, this time, got the, the children of Israel, same problem. They're unbelieving. They're doubting whether God is among them. And God's going to give them water again out of the rock, a picture that the water that God provides is an endless flow. It's an eternal supply. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. That, that this would be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Meaning, once God gives you salvation, he gives you his Holy Spirit. And that's an eternal supply. It's called eternal life. And I'm grateful. This week in the jail, I spoke to the men about the, 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 the contrast between a better life or eternal life. 
Many people want a better life. You know what? I believe that's what we see here in Exodus chapter 17. We just don't want to be thirsty. We don't really want God. We just want what God would provide. And you know what? You know where eternal life is? It's in him. It's He is eternal life. And so Numbers chapter 20, they've got the same issue. It says, verse 1, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people of Odin Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So this is right before they're going back in, uh, into the promised land, some 40 years nearly. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? Therefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil, under this evil place. It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron before uh, thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now, I'll just stop right there. We find that Moses and Aaron were forbidden to go in the promised land because of their disobedience to God. May I say this? Had Moses simply said, rock, provide water, what would have happened? There's a, there's a great theological lesson in this. Christ only had to be smitten once. The Bible says once he died for our sins. Once the just for the unjust. He does not need to be crucified again and again. May I say this? When we take the Lord's table, we're not symbolizing a repeated crucifixion. We are saying we trust his once and for all death in our place. Once for all, Hebrews 10.10 says that he died in our place. Hebrews 4.15 and 16 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May I say this? Once, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was smitten, so all you need to do today to get eternal life from him is speak to him. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 of Romans 10 says, For whosoever shall what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what he's saying? Speak to the rock. You know what? Forty years later, was there still water in this rock? You know what it's a picture of? The supply of life never ends from Jesus Christ. He is life eternal. May I say this? Jesus Christ was sufficient to save people 2,000 years ago. He was sufficient to save people 1,000 years ago. He's sufficient to save today. He is sufficient in his life-giving grace to help believers go through persecutions and difficult times. Our job is to believe God enough to speak to our rock. We speak to the rock and the supply of life from heaven he gives to us through this book by his Holy Spirit. Does he not? It's an unending supply of 
of life from him. The point is, the life he has is eternal. And Moses got in trouble because he did what? He did what a lot of people do today. They don't believe that the first time was enough. We've got to smite it again. No, he was one smitten. Just speak to him. Just speak to him, and he'll grant to you the water of life. Is that not what he said? Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Come and take the water of life freely. So the fullness of God's presence, that's what this rock was. God was there on that rock. The only way you'd know it is because he said so, he promised, and then when he was trusted, you could see that his presence expressed, not by him being seen so much, just the rock was all there was, but the water that flowed revealed that God was truly present there, and then that gave them a fountain of provision. This is what our Lord and Savior is to us today. From him is all that we need. All that pertains to life and godliness is found in the person of Jesus Christ. How many believe that he knows every hair in your head this morning? Does he know the temptations you have faced this week and will face the one to come? Does he know your weaknesses? Does he know your strengths? And if he's enough, if he's great enough to pardon your sins... Is he not great enough to empower you to live for him? I'm going, to, I'm going to reiterate this again and again because it's such a wonderful truth. His death guarantees our forgiveness. His life guarantees our victory. Many times you say, I'm so thankful Jesus died in my place that I might be free from my guilt. Wonderful, but then we still have guilt because we don't walk as we should. We say, well, he saved me and forgave me, but I can't live like I'm supposed to. We need to quit relying on ourselves and rely on him. Speak to the rock. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so the Lord Jesus lives today to, to supply his life to you. Do you know how the world can see that there's a living God in heaven and that the gospel's not a joke? You and I need to get water from our rock and live by the, the life-giving flow of his word. The Holy Spirit is a living person who indwells the believer. It's not a concept. He's a living person. As Christ ascended to heaven, he gave himself to us in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, why do you say that? Because as a believer this morning, you and I have, if you're saved this morning, you have what you need from God in Christ Jesus. Don't try to find something beyond Christ. There's nothing else. He has all we need for for life. That's eternal life and godliness, the life he wants us to live here. And so then he's the fountain of God's provision. Thirdly, because of this, he's the foundation of our persuasion. We've been hammering away on this. Look, if you would, I said we're going to see that Christ is referenced as a rock throughout the Bible. When we get into the New Testament, look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So he is the fullness of God's presence. That's what this rock speaks of. He is the fountain of God's provision. Everything God has for us is in the person of Jesus Christ and flows from God through him to us. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Thirdly, He is therefore the foundation of our persuasion. That's the truth for the individual, and it's truth for the church. Matthew chapter 7, speaking of the individual, Matthew chapter 7, we know this text well. The Lord Jesus has given many words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He comes to verse 24. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a, a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. Beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. First Corinthians chapter 3 tells us this. First Corinthians chapter 3 
Paul speaking of building a church, building the Corinthian church. He talks about they were like a vineyard. Here the church is like a building. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, that foundation of stone, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, so on and so forth. I just want to point out these two texts of Scripture where we find the Lord Jesus Christ and specifically His Word. He is the rock, meaning He is the fullness of God's presence, as we saw in Exodus 17. He is the rock. He is the fountain of God's provision. But He's the foundation of our persuasion. We fix what we believe in what He says, not what we feel. We fix what we believe in what He says, not what the education community says. We fix what we believe on what He says, not on our intellectual reasoning. The foundation of our persuasion is on the Word of God. I can tell you this this morning. The primary reason I believe without equivocation there is a place called heaven where souls depart and go and dwell with God is because Jesus said so. It's the greatest evidence I have. It's not a book that somebody's written. It's the book that's been given, the Word of God. The reason I believe there's a place called hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched is because He said so. The reason I believe He's returning and coming again to set up His kingdom on this earth is He said so. Amen? I appreciate the signs we see in the times, and I understand it points us back to the Bible. But you know why you and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's coming again? He said so. And if I go, I will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. Somebody took me to task a few weeks ago and said, you really believe there's mansions in heaven? Your Bible's wrong. It ought to say rooms. Nope. It should be mansions because that's what it says. Somebody told me recently, you're just too simple. You need to think a little differently. I just believe we ought to build our faith on what he says. Not on what we feel. Amen? You know what? If we'll do that, here's, here's the nice thing. What he says is the same thing he said 2,000 years ago. You realize that Jesus said that the, the root problem of man is not what's on the outside of him entering in, but what's on the inside of him coming out. His word is eternal. You realize that still stands true today. I love asking the men that are incarcerated something like this. Would you say that methamphetamine is evil. Oh, yes. So not really. It's just a lot of natural substances put together to create something that has an evil impact. I'll tell you what's evil. Men who would concoct such a thing. Amen? You know what? Alcohol in itself is not evil. I'll tell you what's evil is a man that would chug it down his throat. That's what's evil. Somebody would be foolish enough to pour it inside his body when he would run your car if you'd let it. How many of you go down to the gas pump today and just open up? (laughs) Men do it every day. Just packaged in a pretty bottle. Has the same effect on them. Ruins their minds and their bodies. But you know what's evil? Not that substance so much. Men who've done evil things with it. You say, why are you saying this? Because Jesus said 2,000 years ago, not what goeth in the man defileth him, but what what comes out. Because it's what's in the heart that defiles the man. And you know what I find 2,000 years later? That, that word hasn't budged, hasn't moved. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The most relevant content I find in the day in which I live is not what I read on Facebook. It's not what I read on somebody's website. It's what I read in the pages of this book. Nothing brings my world to light more than what's right in this book. You know why? Because it's a rock. 
It doesn't change. God's definition of sin hasn't changed. God's way of salvation hasn't changed. God's solution for man's problem hasn't changed. It's still Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he is unchanging and unmovable. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You see that portrayed between Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. When God told Moses, smite the rock, what came out? Water. When God told Moses, speak to the rock, and he smote it in disobedience, what came out? You know what that's a symbol of? Moses, you changed, but I have not. You sinned and disbelieved, but I'm not going to, your unbelief is not going to overcome my grace and my faithfulness. Men today, you know what? Men can deny God. They do, but that doesn't change who God is. He is unchanged by all that goes on around. We need this this morning. It's why our belief in Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 6 is called an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. If you and I are going to anchor our soul on what the culture thinks, you're going to be on shifting sand. If you and I anchor our soul on how we feel, we're on shifting sand. If we're going to anchor our soul on man's philosophy, we're on shifting sand. But if you'll anchor your soul on the person of Jesus Christ, he's eternal. A cup, You know what? How many of you have changed extremely in the last two days? No, it takes a few years to change, right? Um, you know what a couple thousand years is to the Lord? A couple of days, and he told, the, he told the sons of Jacob, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Today, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rock, which speaks to the fact that he is still perfect. His work is still perfect. He is a God of judgment without iniquity. He's just and right, just like he was, he is, and always will be. One of the things I love about the book of Revelation is that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing in time changes our Savior. Our times have changed. Can we all agree? I'm telling you, I'm only 41 years old, and I cannot believe how my world... I used to hear 75-year-olds say, man, my world has changed. And I think, my world has changed in the last 20 years like theirs changed over 50. Unbelievable the change we've seen. You know what hasn't changed in those 20 years? My Bible still says the same thing. And the Savior who wrote it is still the same faithful Savior. And so finally we come to our final point. He's not only as the rock, the fullness of God's presence, the fountain of God's provision, the foundation of our persuasion that's unmoving and unchanging, but he is the force of prosecution. When he returns, he's coming back as a stone carved out of a mountain without hands. Daniel chapter 2, if you would. Daniel chapter 2, this is other reference to the Lord Jesus as a stone or a rock. And this, of course, to his kingdom, his coming kingdom. You read about it in Revelation 19. He'll come and rule with a rod of iron. Daniel chapter 2, we remember uh, the the image Nebuchadnezzar would end up building in chapter 3. He had a vision of this in chapter 2. And uh, the book of Daniel is so intriguing. We've been there a number of times in devotions at home recently looking at some folks that stood for the Lord. But in Daniel chapter 2, there's this image and it's got a head of gold. And you know how it works. It starts with a head of gold and moves down and the metals become less precious until you get to the toes and they are iron mingled with clay. By the way, that's where we're living when it comes to human government. And that, those two feet on Daniel's image, I believe that prophetically speaking. But here's the wonderful thing. Here's this beautiful image. Tall, the head of gold, and all these things, feet with clay mixed with iron. And then in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, earlier in the chapter, Daniel had seen a stone carved out of the mountain without hands, and it rolled down and destroyed that image. Every part of that image represents the kingdoms of men. 
So you can study that, and you can find the Babylonian Empire, and you can find the Grecian Empire, and you can find the Roman Empire, and then you can really find democracy in our day and how that is very much represented in that clay mingled with iron. I believe you can see how the government of our day correlates with that. And so we see how man has governed through monarchies down to uh, uh, different rules. And so here's this man governing himself. And in Daniel 2.45, he says, um, verse 44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And i got a question. Has that verse been fully fulfilled yet? Has his kingdom destroyed all the other kingdoms yet? No. Recent uh, news should tell us that's not happening yet. Okay, verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, is a miracle, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Now if you go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the stone. He is that spiritual rock. And so as such, he is the fullness of God's presence, as it was in Exodus 16. He's the fountain of God's provision. He is the foundation of our persuasion. But he is to those who reject him a stone that will grind them to powder, including the individual and the kingdoms of this world. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. The Bible says, saying, What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? Now they say unto him, I'm in the wrong place. It's Matthew 22. Forgive me. Matthew 21, beginning verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same as become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So the stone being Jesus, which the Jewish leadership rejected. So you think of building the physical temple. And someone says, If we're going to build the physical temple, we need a cornerstone so that we can have it square, so it can be built correctly. And someone says, What about this one? The builders said, Nah, too plain. We don't want that one. The stone which the builders rejected, the Jewish leadership, the Gentile leadership rejected Christ. He said the same has become the head of the corner. Uh, Back to uh, Matthew 21, uh, verse uh, 43. Therefore I say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. That's speaking about the gospel of the Gentiles. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, It will grind him to powder. Uh, We find the same statement made in Luke in chapter 20, verse 18. First Peter references Jesus being the chief cornerstone, that he's the stone that the builders rejected. So what does this mean? Those who fall on this stone will be broken to pieces, and on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. May I say this? Everyone must deal with Jesus Christ. He says, you're either for me or against me. And if you're for him, what that broken to pieces, you can read about Romans chapter 6. If we, if we believe on Christ, our old man must be crucified with him. We must acknowledge, I am not worthy of life. I'm worthy of the death that he died on the cross. I accept his death. And in so falling on him as that stone, we are broken to pieces and resurrected into new life. Except a corn of wheat fall on the ground, it'll perish. That was speaking of Jesus himself. It did, and it brought forth life even so. The believer falls on that stone, broken to pieces, and you receive life from him. But on whomsoever the stone falls, it will do what? Grind him to powder. I'm going to tell you what faith in Christ will do. You know what broken to pieces is in the Bible? It's called contrition. Contrition is what it means to be broken. 
meaning I no longer defend myself. Broken to pieces is repentance and faith. Uh, so much so. But on whomsoever it falls, will grind into powder. You know what Jesus is here? He is the force of prosecution. Look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19. For those who will not come to him as the fullness of God's presence. For those who will not come to him as the fountain of God's provision. For those who will not build their faith on him as the foundation of our persuasion. They'll only know him as the force of prosecution of God's wrath and judgment. Revelation chapter 19. The Bible says, speaking of the Lord Jesus coming to execute judgment, to institute and implement his kingdom uh, here on this earth. The Bible says in, um, let me see where I want to begin, verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. This is an angel speaking to John. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful. And true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and that, and he that, and he shall rule them. With a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know what? All that this world has done in rebellion against Jesus Christ hasn't changed him. He's still coming back as a conquering king. And here's the final way we see him as a stone. You know what? If I, if I this morning said, you know what? I don't believe that wall is more powerful than me. So I'm going to prove it to you by running through it as hard and as fast as I can. Will I change the wall or will the wall change me? Yeah, it's going to change me. I'm just going to make a mess. Somebody's going to have to clean up later. <laughs> there are those that say, I defy Jesus Christ. I don't believe what the Bible says. I believe it's a fairy tale. It's a myth. He's going to grind them to powder someday. You say, why not now? Because he's long-suffering not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. Go now, if you would, finally, John 3, 36. John 3, 36. We need a fresh glimpse of who Jesus really is. Do we not? A fresh glimpse. He is, he is the stone which the builders rejected. He is that spiritual rock in the wilderness where God's presence was fully, and God, Jesus Christ is still the fullness of God's presence. He is still the fountain of God's provision. He is still the foundation upon which we can build our faith. But again, if we reject that, he will only be known as our prosecutor. John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know what? God has provided someone who's unchanging, who, who has eternal life for those who believe on him. Let me ask you this. What is, is there anything glamorous about a rock? No. Nothing glamorous would have fit the setting they were in. Jesus did not come in glamour. Today he is in glory. He came in humility. And so many people have stumbled over him because of his humility. A rock? Really? Yes, a rock. He's unchanging. He's unmoving. And he is the everlasting source of eternal life. But if we reject him, he'll be the end of ourselves. Amen? There's no greater crime than to reject the provision God has made to save us from our sins. This morning, if you're a believer... Friend, this ought to strengthen our faith in him. So you know what? I'm going to build my life on his word and that alone. 
I'm going to remember that all my provision comes from him. If you're an unbeliever this morning, or you're trying to scare people, just give them the truth. And if we're on the wrong side of Christ, the truth ought to scare us. And we ought to not see God's patience as permissiveness. It's patience. God is not willing that any should perish. And I say this, say, well, someone says, well, I trust Christ, but I don't feel this. May I say this? The feelings of assurance and peace and joy are the fruit of simple trust. Take God at his word. I don't know hearts this morning, but I know this. Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. He changes not. His word is faithful. And today he's ready to save whosoever will come to him. If you've done that, take him at his word and then speak to him again and again and again for the mercy and grace that are available to you if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer this morning, let me urge you. God sent a preacher, sent you here to hear a message to remind you you will respond to Christ. And how you respond will be what determines what takes place with you in eternity. Mm-hmm.